0: Thirty-one In the Church Bibles, that's page 1089. On the evening of that first day of the week, when the disciples were together, with the doors locked for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. After he said this, he showed them his hands and sighed. The disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. Again, Jesus said, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And with that he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive anyone his sins, they are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. Now Thomas, called Didymus, one of the twelve, was not with the disciples when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were,
1: Okay, I hope you're all sitting comfortably, then we will begin. Um, let me add my welcome to Phil, it's nice to see you all here, and if you're new or with us for the first time, uh, a double special welcome to you. Well, we've been going through John's Gospel for about the last two years now, and we're rapidly approaching the end. And in my opinion, we're coming to what is perhaps the climax of it in this afternoon's passage. Now, we have an expression in uh, the English language that when someone wavers over something and doesn't quite believe what others uh, tell them, we refer to them as a doubting Thomas. And it is from our passage today that we um, get that story of Thomas and we get an understanding of how he came to understand what the resurrection of Jesus was about, and it's from that that we get this expression, a doubting Thomas. Uh, But when we refer to somebody as a doubting Thomas, I don't think we're normally being that complimentary. The inference is that their doubt is a problem, and somehow they're not like the rest of us. Well, I think that that is grossly unfair upon Thomas and everybody who's been named Thomas since it is a misrepresentation of this story and then hopefully today we will put a few of those things uh, right. I think Thomas is not very different from the rest of the disciples and actually he's probably not much different from you and me. Interestingly in our small group on um, Tuesday evening we read through all four accounts of the resurrection, something I'd never done before And it was quite powerful in its effect. And in at least two of those accounts, you read that most of the other disciples didn't believe it stated explicitly. And in a third account, it's um, implicit in the text as well. So I think Thomas was very much like the other disciples and like you and me. Well, what I want to do is I'm just going to summarize um, the passage that James Kindly read to us in my own words, put my own slant on it, and then I'm just going to draw out a few things from that that hopefully will be helpful to us this afternoon. So, our passage starts on the evening of the same day that Jesus had risen from the dead, and it's the same day that Mary had met Jesus, and the disciples, but not Thomas, were all gathered together in a room in fear of the Jews. They were huddled away, locked away. You see that in verse 19. And in the middle of this, Jesus meets with them. And there was a kind of initial shock, but after they had seen the visible evidence of Jesus' hands and side, they were all overjoyed. Verse 20 tells us they were overjoyed. And who wouldn't be? I mean, this was a momentous moment. It's a turning point in history. They may not have seen it as that at the time, but that is what it was, a turning point in history. But I'm not sure all the pennies had dropped with the disciples as to what was really going on. I think some were starting to fall into place, but they hadn't all dropped just yet. And John also records for us in 21 to 23 that Jesus tells the disciples That their job is going to be to carry on the work that he has been doing. And as the Father had sent him, he is going to send them, and they will have the same support from the Father that he had. John goes on to explain that when these disciples, having had this wonderful experience, meet up with Thomas a short while later, they, of course, overflow with the news to Thomas. And they say, we've seen the nail marks in Jesus' hand, and we've seen the spear marks in his side. But John records that Thomas didn't believe. He wanted more to go on than his over-exuberant friends. He needed some incontrovertible evidence for himself. Then he would believe. Well, we'll come back to this in a few minutes, but doesn't it sound familiar? I mean, how many of us could have been Thomas? I need a little bit more to go on than just your excitement. Well, Jesus knew about Thomas's concern, and a week later, not an hour, not a day, but a week later, the disciples were together again, again locked away in a room together, and Jesus meets with them again. And this time, he presents himself to Thomas, who quickly overcame any concerns he had, and he realised that Jesus was indeed alive. And in fact, the penny, or pennies, also dropped with him as to who Jesus truly was, the Messiah, God incarnate. And probably, on behalf of all the disciples, in verse 28... Thomas exclaims, my Lord and my God. Thomas went from being a sceptic to a believer. And we know that from other sources, this event changed Thomas's life such that he went about telling others about Jesus, fulfilling that commission that was given in the room the week before when Thomas wasn't there. And we know that because Paul in what we read in the New Testament, concentrated on taking uh, the gospel to the west, to Rome effectively, to the center of the known world. We know from other sources that Thomas went east. So it changed Thomas's life completely. And in our passage today, John finishes by telling us the reason that he has written this book. It was so that people might believe it was so that you and I might believe just like Thomas had that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. Now, in my opinion, to me, this is the climax of John's gospel when the disciples properly recognize who Jesus is. He's lived amongst them for several years, and it's at this point, my Lord and my God, that they properly recognize who Jesus is. To me, that's the climax of the gospel and I suspect for many of us it was a landmark occasion in our lives as well when we came to realize that Jesus was who he claimed to be. It certainly was for me. Well that's my summary of the story that we're going to look at and I have four insights on that none of them are rocket science and none of them are particularly long you'll be glad to hear. And the first thing I want us to note from our story today is that it is okay to check things out. It is okay to check things out. We are all different, we all look at things in different ways and we all assess things differently. I find myself uh, increasingly these days holding lightly some of the things some people tell me. At least until I know it has come from a trusted source. We all too easily express opinions that are conjecture rather than based upon something which is tangible and something which is solid, and this is especially true when the source is social media. I will often ask for clarification, how do you know this is the case, and so on. And the more incredible the claim, the more I want to know the source, and I will probably even go away and do some research myself, just to be careful that I'm not passing on and spreading something that actually is b- based on sand. And I suspect I'm, I'm not alone. I was taught very early on in my career that uh, you know if you spell the word assume out, it makes an ass out of you and me. So be very careful. So I don't find it unreasonable for people to be skeptical at times. And in Thomas's case, with the enormity of the claim that was going on, and given his recent experiences, he had seen Jesus arrested, probably seen him being crucified and died, you would think there would be a degree of scepticism. So I find him wanting to know a little bit more perfectly reasonable. I don't see it as unreasonable at all. I probably would have done the same myself. And. Today, for people who are looking at Christianity or investigating it in some way, I think it's quite right for them to look into it thoroughly and make sure of what they're looking at. It is not unreasonable to check things out thoroughly. Where I do have a problem though, and it is particularly around uh, social media, is when people express a view that is clearly not thought through and is not thought out and is rather populist or even worse, is going along with the anti-Christian culture. It's all fairy stories. And, of course, they've never looked at it themselves. They've no idea. They're just repeating what they've heard others say. I have a problem with that because it's not true. I recently um, read a very interesting book on the current culture wars going on in the West and the author makes the point that the people who claim to know what they are talking about do not. They are mostly ignorant, sloppy and less than half-informed. Well, I bow to his greater experience. But if Jesus rose from the dead, then the implications are staggering. And so it is okay to check it out for yourself. In fact, you should do so. And Thomas effectively told his fellow disciples that he wanted to see for himself what they had told him. Effectively, see what they had seen. Did you notice that they were shown the holes in Jesus' hand and the mark in his side? So all he was saying was, I would like to see the same as well. He wanted to check it out, which I'm fine with. And as it turns out, so too was Jesus. That's my first thing. It's okay to check things out. My second point is that there, um, or the second thing I want us to notice from our story of Thomas here, is that there comes a point when a decision has to be made. There comes a point when you have to get off the fence. There are only so many times one can look at the evidence and eventually one must either accept it or reject it. Is the evidence true or not? Having seen Jesus for himself, Thomas moved from being a sceptic to a believer. He came to a conclusion and got off the fence. Now again, sadly we live in times when people... Uh, if people are unhappy about the consequences of a certain truth they simply recreate a different truth. This is ridiculous really. What would have been thought impossible a a generation ago sadly is reality today. People determine their own truth based upon how they feel irrespective of the evidence. You can tell I've got a bit of a bugbear about this stuff. But I have been amazed and saddened at how often this is happening and we in the church have to be careful that we don't assimilate the same approach ourselves. We have to be careful. Bruce Bruce Milne in his commentary on John's Gospel makes the observation that we are able today with a degree of conviction at the historical level not available to many of our forefathers to confirm the fundamental reliability of the New Testament records as the composition of those who were there, as Luke calls them, eyewitnesses of the word. We can historically verify that this is an eyewitness account of something that took place 2,000 years ago. He goes on to say, we are not at liberty to dismiss their accounts as mere myths and legends largely detached detached from the historical realities behind them. That is intellectually a poor idea. You cannot do that. So, when we've looked at the evidence for the resurrection, we have to either say it can't be true or accept that it is true. To remain on the fence or to simply dismiss the accounts as fairy stories is to deny reality and want to create our own truth because we prefer a different outcome. I remember hearing a joke once about a man who slipped off the edge of a cliff. It was a big cliff down and he managed to grab hold of a branch and he was clinging onto it, looking down at the abyss. And as he clung there, he shouted out, is anyone there? And a voice came back saying, yes, let go and I'll catch you. And he he thought for a moment and then he asked, is there anyone else there? (laughs) And the consequences of coming to the conclusion that Jesus is who he claimed to be and that he did indeed rise from the dead can be frightening. But as Thomas and his friends uh, discovered, this truth is liberating and sets you free. John recorded earlier in his gospel, you may remember, and you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. That's John 8, verse 32. And John wrote his book so that you and I might believe that Jesus is who he said he was. So that's my second point. Get off the fence. You, it's all right to check things out, but you can't stay on the fence forever. And the third point I want to, or the third thing I want to draw out from our story, is that confession is good for the soul. Having examined the evidence, the pennies drop with Thomas, he gets off the fence and he makes this confession in verse 28. My Lord and my God. Now the disciples routinely called Jesus Lord, but this was the first time anyone other than the gospel writer had called Jesus God or my God. The pennies had dropped Paul in his letter to the Romans in chapter 10 makes the following comment, he says, If you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified, and it is with your mouth that you profess and are saved. And the account of Thomas provides a pattern for us as to how we can become a Christian in our minds we come to an understanding of who jesus is and this stirs our hearts such that we confess that jesus is both lord and god and more than that he is my lord and my god by such a confession i am saying that he is no that i am no longer lord and i am no longer god in doing so we recognize that the right way to live To live as God meant it to be is with him front and centre, my Lord and my God. And in this sense, this confession is truly good for the soul as eternal life is promised to those who make such a confession. The age in which we live is one where the great God of the present is me, And the idea of rationalism and objective truth is being rejected. We have a responsibility. In fact, we have a duty to preach Jesus Christ as Lord. For that is the only confession that will save the soul. Okay, that was my third. So we're on my final point. My final thought or thing I notice from here is that believing in Jesus is a blessing. Verse 29 says then Jesus told him because you have seen me you have believed blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed and this is not a rebuke to Thomas but it is a statement of fact blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed and we get some clues as to what that blessing might be within the passage. I spotted uh, three things, you might spot others, Um, it, it doesn't really matter. But I spotted that there's a blessing of peace, there's a blessing of purpose, and there's a blessing of new priorities. Each time Jesus met with his disciples, he said to them, peace be with you. And they were locked away in fear, verse 19 we read that, and Jesus comes in and he declares to them, peace be with you. And peace, as you may remember from one of our earlier sessions in John, is a big thing in John's gospel. And we saw it when we looked at chapter 14, when Jesus declared shortly before he was arrested and then subsequently tortured and crucified, he said these words. He said, peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you, not as the world do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. Peace I leave with you. And after the resurrection, when he is with his disciples, he again declares peace over them. And what Jesus brings is not a worldly view of peace. Jesus gives us a peace of the heart. He, he makes it more explicit, perhaps, in John 16, where he says, I have said this to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer, I have overcome the world. I have said this to you, that in me... You may have peace. See, Jesus doesn't promise freedom from the storms of life, but rather that by journeying with him, one can experience peace through the storm. Little wonder, he says, blessed are those who believe. Now, as well as the blessing of peace, I saw the blessing of purpose. We all want a purpose in life, and I suspect we come across those who struggle to find a purpose. Well, Jesus gives us a purpose. That of continuing his mission of living a life for the glory of God and of helping others discover a way back to God. Verse 22 or 21, it says, as the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And thirdly, I see that with a confession of my Lord and my God, we get a new set of priorities we no longer live for ourselves but for God and his glory blessed are those who believe well there you go there are four things that perhaps I just wanted to highlight from this story that I saw it's good to check things out there comes a point when you have to get off the fence confession is good for the soul and believing in Jesus is a blessing well we haven't quite finished our studies in john we've kind of come full circle you may remember that john started his gospel with these words in the beginning was the word and the word was with god he was in the beginning sorry he was with god in the beginning in the middle of the gospel john chapter 11 a dialogue takes place with Martha this is at the uh, at Lazarus's tomb and uh, in verse 25 we read Jesus said to her I am the resurrection and the life the one who believes in me will live even though they die and whoever lives by believing in me will never die do you believe this yes lord she replied i believe that you are the messiah the Son of God who has come into the world. And now finally, John chapter 20, the, almost at the end of the book with the story of Thomas, there is a personal confession, a personal declaration, my Lord and my God. John started by telling us that Jesus was the word and by the end of the gospel, the disciples have personally recognized this and accepting Jesus as their Lord and their God. Occasionally I get to coach people on presenting and communication, um, and often I pass on something that I've learned, which has proven very helpful. It's very straightforward, most of you will probably know it. It's tell the people what you're going to tell them, tell them, and then tell them what you've told them. There you go, that's that's the outline for most presentations that you do. And as I read my notes a few through earlier I realized I should have done it for today and I'd forgotten but it doesn't matter but that's what we do John's gospel is a lot like that John started by telling us that Jesus is the word he then explained the story uh, of Jesus through his life and ministry and at the end we have this story of Thomas and Jesus tells them what he has told them or John tells us what he had told them that Jesus is our Lord and our God he told us at the beginning he then explains it and then he's told us what he's told what he told us and for thomas and their disciples and the disciples their lives were transformed so the question then is what about you and what about me what about us you see if you are a christian is jesus truly your lord have you given over all of your life to him or are there parts that you keep back is it true that if it is true that if Jesus is not lord of all he is not lord at all we come to Christ on his terms not on ours and perhaps for you this afternoon you would want to pray Thomas's prayer of confession again and allow Jesus to be lord of all my lord and my god and if you've never made that confession that Thomas made then perhaps you should. You see, it is fine to check things out and to be sure, just as Thomas did, but you do need to get off the fence. You do need to make the confession that Thomas made. See, if you've been coming to church for some time but have never accepted Jesus as Lord and Saviour, then you need to. This is not a question of, I might like to, you need to. For it is the only way we guarantee a relationship with God. John chapter 20 is the story of the resurrection and really it's the story of two people. When you look at it, it's the story of two people. The first part that filled it over the last two weeks is of Mary Magdalene. There are other people in it, but it's largely about Mary Magdalene and her encounter with Jesus and then telling the disciples. The second part that we're looking at today is really about the story of Thomas. And what we've got is a story of two people and their different encounters with Jesus and how they came to believe and make that confession, my Lord and my God. What is your story?